Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of His will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing Him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to His word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area, and it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. 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 I said amen. amen. And that will be your testimony again this evening in the name of Jesus. Amen. It will happen that a special word will come to you today. Amen. I pray for you. You know what happened, Daniel? God, the angels came and said, I have come to give you skill and understanding. What that does is that, you know, the Bible says anger lies in the bosom of fools. So God will give you skill, understanding, so as to remove the confusion and anger in your heart. In the name of Jesus Christ. You know, if Job was able to see what was going on in heaven, he would not have been worried at all, at all, at all. When Elisha was able to see the the chariots around him, there was no cause for panic. And that's what God will do for you today. He will give you a word to address that situation that has been on your heart. In the name of Jesus Christ. Once many years ago, I went to church. Typically, young man, of course, you know what was going on around. I was wearing white, starched, linen, white, going to church. And I was stepping like this because it rained. I didn't want my clothes to be splashed, you know, with mud. Then when pastor finished preaching that day, he preached such a hot word. This was how I came out of church. I just step in any mud splash. It's just today. You can't splash me tomorrow. Are you, are you get my point there? That is, I had so much control of life after that day. I was not worried anymore because the word came. That kind of word will come to you this evening. Amen. As you have declared, so is your portion in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, please greet somebody on your left and your right and take your seats. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. Now, one of the things you see, all right, the way we do our teaching here, I just keep t- teaching once in a while. The topic will change without me announcing that the topic was going to change. So that kind of thing has happened. The last time I began to teach, when we, when we've been speaking about the issue of change, how we pray concerning change. And I wanted us to pray concerning change in the nation, but I feel like we're going to have to do a lot of talking and I have to do a lot of teaching, all right? So we've switched the topic from last week, and now we're talking about change in the church and in the nation. That is, consequently, in the nation. I want to review some of the things I said last time. Now, like I was saying earlier at the beginning, that when we are praying, we have to be... Um, Okay, like I was saying that God will give us clarity, will give us understanding in such a manner that um, we will have um, anger will be taken out of our hearts. Confusion will be removed. So when you see things happening, you will react differently. Now, first, let me just, I feel like saying this again. Let's understand God properly. It's not the way a lot of, a lot of us Pentecostals try to paint him. I just feel as if it's a commission from God I have to redescribe him to true Christians. Yes, there was a time that Christians thought that God was somebody to be afraid of. When he's coming, you hide. So because you may be burned, you know, up in his presence. presence. Now, so, then when I came into the study of the word of God, the impression was that that was not the right way to address God. God is a father. And then it's, there's one problem with life. People find it very hard to stay in the middle. They will go from one extreme to the other. Just like you find out that you, there are some very conservative Christians when it comes to dressing. The women will not use any makeup. They will tie their hair tightly, hide every strand of hair. It's like wearing turban. You understand my point? Every shred of skin must be covered. Just any, the only one exposed is one above the chin. 
And then some came and said, no, that's not the way it is. That's not the way it is, you know. So we said that, um, <clears throat> what's wrong with women wearing trousers? Ah, trousers just, just have to be a man's dress. No, all kinds of stories started. They started seeing Christian women looking like Jezebel. You look at them, and you're like, are you married to Ahab? Are you Mrs. Ahab? See a woman, Mrs. Ahab. They started, you no, know, they swung. Yes, I agree that some of those things were extreme. Okay? They said no jewelry, no makeup, nothing. There was no foundational scripture for those things, really. But then the other extreme was worse. You now find people dressing like harlots. The Bible described the attire of a harlot. Women will dress. You can't even talk to them. You know, you, you, it's hard. You're, you're passing on the road. You're ashamed to say, that's my sister. Because they think that she's going to a nightclub. And when you want to talk, say, God does not look on the outside. He looks on the heart. Must you look like a fool just because God does not look at you from the outside? Why can't you look decent and respectable? Have you ever seen your governor's wife looking like this? You know, there are things that God will tell you. That take this to your governor. Will he accept it from you? If somebody came to your office to look for work and she looked like this, will you employ her? Just, you know, it's common sense. They say dress the way you want to be addressed. If you have clad half of your sexy past exposed, I won't get, greet you. Good afternoon, ma. I will whistle when I want to call you. I walk my students out of class. Medical students, if you dress like that. So, where do you think you are? Nightclub? I hope you're getting my point here. God does, you know, there's something called the spirit. You know, spirit. Spirit of a thing. You ask yourself, what statement am I making? There doesn't have to be a law. There mustn't be a law. You just ask yourself, what statement am I making? The person I'm going to talk to, what impression of myself am I giving him or giving her? That's just what it is. <laughs> Some time ago, you know, I remember one day, Archbishop I, I also died. I took it upon myself to come from Lagos to attend the funeral. So I came the day before. So that day I dressed up in the morning. I was going out with one of my, one of my friends. It's going to be a hot day in Benin. Benin is typically hot, so... So my friend came wearing a t-shirt and stuff. We were supposed to go. He saw me wearing a shirt, a tie, and all of that. So he said, why are you dressed like this? It's going to be hot. You'll be uncomfortable. Remove the tie. I said, no. So he was surprised. I said, let me tell you my reason. There's going to be crowd control there. There will be security men. I don't want any policeman shoving me. They're going to have security men there. I said, the way you are looking, they will shove you and not think anything of it. Before they shove me, they will think twice. The brother tell me, sir, please step back. Then I'll step back. But looking like this, oh boy, move before I move you. It's, you know, it's common sense. I said, so I will endure the heat to get some respect for myself. Once I went to my friend's house, now I've left my message. Now, just let me just finish that one. Long ago, this was shortly after we left school. Okay, shortly after NYC, I think. A friend of mine and I, we came to Lagos. We're not Lagos people, so we're going to go out. We want to take one of our friends to go out with us. So we went to his house, a young man still living with his father. So we got there, greeted his father, we greeted his father, greeted him, and then greeted the family, and then we waited for him to get ready, and he had to obtain permission from his dad to go out. So when we were going out, he said he was so happy when he saw us. I said, why? We asked him why. He said, because there was no way his father wouldn't permit him to go. Why? That both of us, the way we dress, we look so responsible. His father will agree. If we came with torn jeans, which God will punish you if you wear in this place? 
that rib jeans. Don't let me say more than that. If I see you, you don't let anybody that you know. Eh? So long you have repented, have we? <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know the person, no wahala, let them in. But any person you recognize that wears rib jeans, especially if, if it's a woman, tell her to go downstairs. Go and listen to us from the car park. If it's a man, let us tell the corridor because it's worse for a woman to wear rib jeans. A man is dead. He was made from the dust. Who so understand? But you are a woman. You were made from skin, flesh, flesh. There's not, there shouldn't be sand on your body. And for these men, we understand where they came from, from the dust of the earth. God took dust and molded into a man. So you understand why they behave like they are not together. But you were made from already made substance. Please, no reaping. Your, your destiny will not be reaped in just Jesus' name. Your beauty will not be ripped in Jesus' name. Your future, say amen now. Amen. Your future will not be ripped in the name of Jesus. Amen. Everything God wants to do in your life will be intact in Jesus' name. Amen. I will dress according to your destiny, amen. amen. Wearing tear tear cloth. Madman, you, we don't know the, one day my wife took a picture and showed my wife. They snapped a girl on the road and a mad person. They put them together. You know this way they mix pictures. And I, she nudged to my daughter, what do you think? Years ago. A few years. My daughter, look, look. Look at the, the mad woman. I said, this woman is mad. This girl is not feeling well. <laughs> that is the other one that, was, that had Kanye West style. Was not feeling well. The Lord is good. Ah, see the amount of time I took just to do the Anglican's work. The Lord is good. In the Anglican church, they put sign at the gate. You can't enter unless your head is correct. <laughs> Amen. Now, so, now back to what I'm saying. Now, that's a serious digression, which I hope it helps somebody. Now, what I was saying is that what we did then was that we took away the, that we didn't strike a balance. We took, we went from one extreme to the other extreme. God is not to be feared, you know, that you shouldn't be afraid of God. You don't fear God like you fear a rat snake. You know, he's a father. He's a loving father. He come with boldness. Which was good. There was only one problem. We're not supposed to throw away the other one. We're supposed to take this new one and add to the mix. Because we now understand that both of them are accurate descriptions of different parts of God. And you cannot take God that's a father that you're not to be afraid of alone and your life will be good. He will reject you eventually. And you also will not be effective if you see him only as God to be feared, trembled before, you have to be able to approach him with boldness, even with your weaknesses, your fears. You have to be able to confess your fears to God. No, he will never reject you. You can go to him even though you have sinned. No, you will still be accepted because you came to confess your sins. You know he's faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. You know he really loves you. You can cry in his presence. You can. But at the same time, tremble, O earth, before the Lord. There's a way you are approaching with reverence. And the number one example of how you really fear God is how you obey his commandments. Knowing that disobedience carries punishment. Not obey his commandments. You know, I love God. Amen. I love him so much. I don't want to hurt his feelings. It's a lie. I love God so much, his feeling is not the issue. I don't want him to punish me. No, let, let's not make it like you are doing him a favor. You know, like, you know, you don't want to hurt your wife's feelings, so you don't do some things. Valentine's Day, you don't want to forget it, you know. You don't hurt the feeling, 
No. The reason why we obey God, apart from the fact that we know it's good, is that if we disobey, we'll get punished. Leave it like that. That's the meaning of the fear of God. It is not true to say that you know, to fear God does not mean to, to be afraid of him. It means to reverence him. What's the meaning of reverence? Can you tell me the meaning of reverence? When you are going, you know, so your children reverence your presence and you disobey you all the time. No. To fear God means to be afraid of judgment for disobedience. That's the meaning of to fear God. That's the meaning of to fear God. You want to do what is wrong? You know that this one is trouble. This one, when I finish doing it, hey, assume your name is David. You see Bathsheba. You will say, I don't want to disturb the Lord. If I take Bathsheba now, the Lord's heart will be broken. No. He said, last time I took Bathsheba, I know what happened. Absalom died. Amnon died. Are you getting my point? I was kicked out of my house. Hey, you know what Absalom did? Disgrace the family. Civil war broke out in Israel just because of Bathsheba. Bathsheba beg. Any, in fact, henceforth, no bathing in public in Israel. And every man must wear glasses, dark shades between this hour and this hour. It's called the fear of God. It's not, you know, God's heart will be broken. After all he did for us, you want to pay him back like that? Amen? No. You have to show God that you love him. Hug, hug the Lord, hug the Lord. Give him a kiss. I feel like saying that I have to say it. Nonsense. What is the fear of God? Did you eat the fruit? Yes, boys disappear. The fruit itself we should not eat. Please, you ate it if you're on your own. You are getting my point here. That's what we are talking about. He said, hey, you know, when they said don't number Israel, David said, let's number Israel. Joab said, no, sir, is it necessary? Another person said, is it necessary? David said, yes. When trouble came, you know, God said, no, this one, I'm not accepting sacrifices at all. You have one of three choices. Three days in my hands, three months of famine, three, sorry, three months in the hands of your enemies, three years of famine. David knew there was trouble. So next time you say, send source, he said, not in Israel. That's what they call the fear of God. The fear of God means that God has a plan. We will scuttle it if we disobey him. And the plan is for our own good, not for his own good. The fear of God means that we understand that he has placed... Now, think about it. Jesus was a perfect lamb, right? Let us assume he sinned like the rest of us. That's a useless lamb. Nothing to sacrifice anymore. A plan that God made for such a long time. It will now be scattered. That's what it means to fear God. Many people, in saying that they don't, they, they, they reverence God, they take him for granted, they have no respect for him at all. These, they think they can just disobey him and get away with it. And unfortunately, you know the problem? They have not been getting away with it, they just don't know. Many people have sold their destinies, cut it in half. 30% gone, 40% gone, 50% gone, 70% gone, some, 90% gone, some. They will have lived to be 100 years in health and vitality, affecting their generation. God said, no, this one will die at 45. Why? They say, it's the devil. It's not the devil. God says, he's not useful for me beyond that point. The, the prophet, Ken Hagin, said something once. He had a vision. And God said to him, End of 65, I am going to remove... Now, listen to this. 
You know, some, some of our preachers, sometimes we, they surprise me, the way they try to preach that God doesn't do anything that is bad, in quotes. Except that he does. He does anything that is not bad. It's called righteousness. If a judge has somebody hung by the neck till he dies, it's not bad. It's just that this man is a murderer. And the sentence is death by hanging. He said, the Lord said to him, end of 65, this vision was in 59, that the man that currently stands in the forefront of the prophetic office, you understand, in the body of Christ that time in their nation, possibly worldwide, that I'm going to remove him at the end of 65. He didn't say Satan will take him. He said, I will remove him. He's going to die. I know the reason. He said he's leading the body of Christ astray. That was the reason. When I'm going to preach, I pray. See, many reasons why I pray. One of them is I've heard some of these things. So that I don't get into trouble. I pray that God, let me not lie to people. Let me not say that which I know is not true. Just because I want to get a result. Even though the result may appear righteous. Like, no, this is what I mean. You tell children, don't go out, Ojuju will catch you. That's a sin. Don't go out because I will flog you. That's better. If you go out when I say don't, there's no, I'm Ojuju. Daddy is Ojuju. I will catch you. Don't scare children. What I'm going to say is I see. Even though we know that we want the child to be safe, don't lie to the child. There's no Ojuju out there. Is the, the offspring of the righteous. Why should Ojuju catch him? Who's Ojuju? Ojuju, come here first. I will catch Ojuju. I make my children double Ojuju. You, know you know when soldiers doubles, you know what they say? Soldiers double somebody. My children will double Ojuju. That's what I mean by, that's what I'm trying to explain by. You don't even tell, even for the purpose of good, you don't lie. Eli who said that, Job, I want to talk, but I won't flatter anybody. He said, because if I do, my maker will soon take me away. I've, I've seen people, fl- ah, sometimes when I see pastors flatter people. You know, people you have talked to on, on personal, at personal levels. When the man, the pooping, I start saying things, I'll be looking like, bros, do you want your maker to take you away? Because the way you are talking, you see somebody say that this man, hmm, Anytime he's preaching, I get confused. I don't even know what he's saying. And as you go and introduce the man, he says, a man eloquent in the word. Anytime he preaches, I'm just so blessed. I'm looking at the person talking and say, what? <laughs> People don't know that. You shouldn't tell lies, though. They say, no, you need to do it to make the people expect that. You lie? There are other things you can say. Have you prayed today? Are you believing God for something? Anybody that steps here today will speak the word and it will bless you. Let's believe God together. Amen. We have a man from God, anointed by God. What do you consider? He's anointed by God. It's not your own. Stop lying. I think sometimes people lie. I say, Jesus Christ. You don't know that God kills people for this kind of thing? They say, in Christ Jesus, he cannot be killed. Eh? Jesus has died. Eh? This same Jesus who destroyed Jerusalem. After he died there, in fact, the fact that he died there was part of their judgment. The same Jesus that Paul said, let's judge ourselves so that he will not have to judge us. The same Jesus that said to them, that woman Jezebel, I will kill her children. She herself, I will cast on the bed of affliction. Hey, 
Nobody continues in sin so that grace may abound. What am I going to say? So Christians, we didn't know we were supposed to balance it. You know, being a father really helped me understand God better. I've said it before, everything we experience in life is to help us know God better. Being a father really helped me understand God better in that area. Because I saw in my children the ability to fear somebody and love him at the same time. My children don't have any, you know, they don't have any fear asking me for anything or saying anything, you know, in my presence. You know, we play. If you see me and um, my boys greet each other, we do it like guys, you know. You know, there's one I saw somewhere. You greet you. There's a way they hit the hand like this. That's how you do it with my boys. Then you beat your chest like you, man. You know. And you do, but that's never first morning's greeting. In the morning's proper greeting, you bow and you greet properly. And then you don't approach me with your hand out. I bring my hand. Do you follow my point? And then when you offend, you know what the Bible calls the severity of the father. It's in the Bible. There's a severity of God. There's a kindness of God. We make it look as if there's you know, New Testament, modern Pentecostal preaching wants to give us the impression that there is no severity. There is. There's kindness with God. But there is severity with him. In fact, one of the reasons why he's slow to anger is that he knows how bad it can be. So being a father helped me to understand you can balance the two. You can be so free with God, you understand? Knowing him as a loving father. At the same time, you can fear him to the uttermost. It's very, it's very, very possible. It's very possible. In fact, you know what I found out personally? Now, I learned this before my kids came and even before I married, long before I married. And I didn't, I learned it from another, a particular experience, actually, one of my cousins. All right? This little boy, you know, is like a second cousin, something like that. You know, anyway, his own cousinship does not have a definition. It's halfway between first and second cousin. His mother is my first cousin. So what is that person? One and a half cousin. <laughs> his mother is my cousin, all right? That's just right away. Anyway, this little boy. Now, this is what I learned. I found out that if you, the people that children love the most actually have to be somebody that disciplines them to an extent. That I have found out. If you totally spoil a child, he will despise you. Forget, look. That, look, it's not about the emotional response alone, no. If you give a child what he wants every time, after when you are sick, he won't give you anything. When you need him, he won't remember you. You've trained him to, to think you are inconsequential. The experience I had with that, my relative was a little boy, very small boy. I mean, maybe like, you know, okay, you know these little kids that run around after Bible study here. Small. So in the house, of course, very unruly little boy. Typical of most boys until they've been flogged. Very unruly. So one day went and took something. I can't remember what for sure, but something I shouldn't have so it doesn't spoil it. Something delicate. Electronic, somebody's glasses or something like that. can't remember for sure. He was playing with it. He was running around with it. So I took it from him. I did not know the kind of uncle that's around. That was a normal auntie's grandmother, mom, mom, you know. That's, the mother was not around then. The, 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 the normal people. 
You know this one? I'm black for a reason. Hmm. So it turned, as I was walking away, I just felt a kick from behind. This little rascal gave me a kick. <laughs> I turned and I said, what did you just do? You know what they call abomination? Anathema. You don't do it. There are things you don't do. Being a relative, I said, good. So I followed the little boy, picked him up. And when I want to dismiss more children, I hold you by your two hands up. You know what that means? There's no defense. You can't block my blows. So I held him by his two hands up. Can't remember what I used on his bum and his legs. And flogged the little boy very well. He cried. His grandmother couldn't rescue him because his grandmother was there. No banky. Just leave banky when he's handling things like this. I looked at him. Ever, never, ever, never, ever, ever kick your seniors again. Do you understand? (laughs) Now, this is the point. After that, we became the best of friends. That's the gist. We became the best of friends in the house. And I don't, like he's playing, if I show up, he will leave everything he's doing and come and stick to me. It's a little boy that he said would never eat. You will see him running around with a feeding bottle. You hear what I said? Running around with a feeding Those who run around are supposed to have feeding bottles. But then you can run around. You should use a feeding bottle. He'll be running around with his feeding bottle. In, big enough to kick somebody. He has a feeding bottle. <laughs> so his grandmother was not taking care of him that time. He said, ah, he will not agree to eat. I said, because you don't want to sit down with him. That's the problem. So I told him, look, while I'm around here, you will eat like your age. You sit down with a spoon and a plate. You know the surprising thing? He did. Every time I want to eat, he will run down and come and sit with me. I had to feed him. I said, this is the boy they said wouldn't agree to eat. A lot of times we blame children for our own laziness and, and impatience. Because f- giving me a feeding bottle, let me run around, gives you all the free time to watch Z-World. Are you getting my point? <laughs> but to make him eat with a spoon, that's 30 minutes of your time gone. You will sit down there, sing, threaten, cajole, Hog, reward, no hang sweet, do all kinds of things for the guy to agree to chew and swallow. You do everything so that the boy will eat. But what I'm telling the story is that after that, we became very good friends. And I was the only person in the house that was stern and principled with him. But we never happened. We became, of course, that's how I play with kids. I'll put him on my back. You know, I'll play, what do they call it, like a horse. I'll be, he'll be riding me on the back, I'll be riding around the house, we'll be playing, i toss him up and down, flip him over. It didn't stop the fact that if you, you draw the line, so within these boundaries, be as free as what? Possible. So is it called the fear of uncle? Behold the severity and the kindness of this uncle. He helped me with, you know, look, understanding God, just seeing children helped me with that. Now, why am I saying all of these things? I know why. <laughs> I just wanted to explain something about God. Because I think a lot of times, we're, we're, you know, like we're talking about prayer for the church and for the nation. A lot of times we've, we've misunderstood our God. And I want to say something that, of course, many people don't like, especially modern preaching. Many times that he has stretched his hands against us. We have not realized that he's the one. We say it's a lie. That is the devil. 
Listen, I'm not going to argue with anybody. You can believe what you like. But let's be reasonable. They'll say that what God does is to withdraw his hand and let Satan handle you. Yes, he does that sometimes. It's not always like that. The truth is that whether he does that or not, he's responsible. Let us assume I put somebody you know, in charge of security somewhere. He's armed. And even he himself said it. To him that does, knows to do good and does not do it, to him is what? It is sin. Even he said it. So if God can protect me and he refuses to protect me, who injured me is irrelevant. He's responsible. And he accepts the responsibility. So the idea of trying to make him look nice, because that's what we did a lot of times, some time ago. We did a lot of polishing God. We have doctrines like, people come to say things like, um, and that's a major attack of atheists against the knowledge of God. They say, if there's God, why is the whole world in a mess? So the defense, which I grew up when I was learning the Bible, the defense for God was that it is not God, it's the devil. And where do we get that from? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. That the God of this world, so Satan being the God of this world is responsible for the war, the famine, the bombings, you know, the kidnapping, the armed robbery, the coronavirus outbreak, Lassa fever, Ebola, you know, storms, tsunamis. That shows that this world is under the control of Satan. Very romantic doctrine, but not true. Of course, what we're trying to paint for people is that God is nice. So the thing is bad is the devil. We try to paint that picture, except that the same with the same mouth we will say we stick with what the Bible says. Except the Bible never said so. The Bible made it clear. God said, "I, the Lord, I do these things," and we know the the most genocidal of genocides. If you wipe everybody on this earth. Of minus one single family. What is worse than genocide? I mean, which other word? That is human recides. Recide. You know, genocide was coined a few years ago, about you know after the Second World War. So English is dynamic language. So I'm I'm inventing one to recide the human recide, the genocide. This one wipe out the whole human race. Who did that? The only person that ever did it is God Himself, and He told Noah. I'm going to do it so you prepare. And he said his reason. That, listen, the earth is full of wickedness. So I need to solve wickedness. So I am going to kill everybody. Noah, only you, your family. And anybody that will agree to follow you to the Ako, I will not quarrel. But of course they will not listen. (laughs) So I think that's all we need to know that he does such things. He wiped out everybody on this earth. And please, just read the book of Revelation. You will see that he will do it again. And guess what? He does it all the time. You know, I'm saying this because we need to understand God well. We've painted him wrongly. So when there's calamity, now, you say, what is the importance of this doctrine? I'll tell you. Or what's the significance? Why do we need to correct it for the right thing? Because it affects how we pray. Like I say, people will be rebuking. Because all you've told them is the devil, is the devil, is the devil. And if God is the one against them, 
Instead of them recognizing it, they will be rebuking the devil. Instead of confessing their sins, instead of repenting and asking God for mercy. He says, that's what the Bible calls the whole counsel of God. Let's be careful. When it says that God, that Jesus, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went around doing good and healing all who were what? Oppressed. Healing all who were? Oppressed. Please say it loud. Oppressed. Of the devil. One day I sat down and meditated on that scripture. And I asked a simple question. If Gehazi was passing, now, don't answer me yes or no, we'll discuss it. And Jesus was healing Gehazi. Would Jesus have healed Gehazi? Now, just think about it before you answer. I have an answer for you. If Gehazi just went and touched his garment, the leprosy would double. Is there, are you saying Jesus would not have healed Gehazi? He would have only if Gehazi went to John. Are you getting my point? Told John, I am sorry for lying to Elisha. Do you follow my point? And John dipped him in water and says to him, your sins are forgiven you by virtue of this repentance and baptism. Then let's add a few words to it. Go and wait. Your healer will come. That is when Jesus will have healed Gehazi. The presence of Jesus was not automatic healing for everybody. That was why he went to the pool of Siloam, full of multitudes. The Bible says five porches full of sick people. He healed one person and walked away. Many people touched him and were healed. Let me tell you, so did many touch him and they did not get anything. Because something controlled the flow of power. You think it's everybody Jesus healed? It's not true. If it was so, where did they find a man at the gate called beautiful? Was he born after Jesus left? He had been there since he was young. You know, so why did they heal him? Something must have, have happened in the interval. They didn't just reserve him. Maybe his faith was, you know, had not been steady. It was still joining those who were laughing. We don't know the exact reason. I don't know if this and detail. I don't know the exact reason. But I just wanted to bring him out to let you know that it was not everybody. He went to his own hometown. How many people did he heal? No mighty work. Just a few sickly people. There was a reason for it. Now, what I want to emphasize here is this. He healed all who were oppressed. Healing those who were oppressed of the devil. I wanted to understand the meaning of oppression of the devil. Listen to this. Before Gehazi. Remember Gehazi? Before Gehazi goes to John, he was not oppressed of the devil. He was suffering the just recompense of reward for iniquity. After baptism by John, if he's still sick, it has become an oppression. I don't know whether you got that point. Before God forgives, it's not if, look, if someone is under the judgment, the wrath of God is not called oppression. Why is it oppression? I'll tell you. Every 70 years you are in Babylon, Jesus couldn't set you free. I hope you are getting my point. The day 70 years is accomplished, every extra day is an oppression by the Babylonians. I hope you are following me. Every extra day after 70 years is called what? 
oppression. Like I said the other day, that was why Jesus did not come first. John came first to prepare the people. Otherwise, if Jesus had appeared by himself into Israel, there would have been very little healing going on. He needed, or, or let's say for the first few years, he would have had to do the work that John did. I discovered that last Saturday. So John had time, good time, to get the people ready for the coming of Jesus. And he kept on telling them, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus made it clear to us, if you are not prepared, if the kingdom comes, they shut the door against you. These are important truths, Christians, you know. And as we said on Saturday, many years will pass. John will not do any mighty work. But those who will be seeking for righteousness will keep going to John. Please follow that point. But the moment people go to John and they get baptized, after that day, they are now under oppression if they are not yet healed. Why? Their sins have been forgiven. They've come for repentance. They've been baptized. So Jesus will come, touch, 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 touch. Freeing those who are oppressed. If Jesus had walked into Babylon in the 65th year, he would have preached to them, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Do you understand my point? But he wouldn't let them go until 70 years will be over. After that, he would say, this is enough. Time to go. Why? The period that God decreed has expired. Every extra day, every extra month or year is now what? Oppression by the Babylonians. And God said they used to do it. God said, I call you against my people. I've forgotten which one of them. I called you against my people. He said, but you carried it beyond measure. So there's an extent to which I authorize you. But the one you do beyond, which I permit and watch, is your own iniquity being full. And if you go and read the God said, afterwards, I will judge the nation that oppressed you. So God will allow them, go, go ahead. Why? I want to judge you too, so let your own sin become full. Please, I'm painting a picture of God again for us to understand. I will say it clearly, directly. He punishes people. He afflicts people. He kills people. Sadly, including his children. I'm not saying he likes to do it. Don't believe that lie. The Ananias and Sapphira were not Christians. There is, it's just an imagination. It's just what? Imagination. People are just imagining. It doesn't sound nice. Like we said the other day, Simon also believed. Did he not believe? Yet, <laughs> when Peter looked at him, he threatened fire and brimstone against a man who had believed. Sometimes I want to write our own Bible. Say that Ananias and Sapphira were not Christians. So God would not have done that. He would have done it. Not he would have done it. He did it. They will now want to repent it that you see what happened was that he, he opened them for satanic attack. Say they are dead. Okay, fine. Whether it's satanic attack or godly attack, angelic attack, say they buried them. They died. Did they go to heaven? I don't know. I don't know. That's not what they're causing now. Okay? But did God kill them? Yes, he did. He did. He did. Oh, oh. All that story of uh, they were not Christians. Why? Are they not Christians? Because they died. So you think Christians don't die? 
Oh, they do. I found out in my Bible that every time you see Paul get angry with somebody, the person was a believer. Alexander the coppersmith was a Christian, was a church elder. All the unbelievers, he didn't have time for them. The ones he was harsh against were the ones that were Christians. Why I refer to Simon again, all right? And um, Ananias and Sapphira is for us to understand that being a believer, it doesn't make you immune to divine judgment if you will not repent. Repentance is imperative. Imperative is the way Christians live. Every day you are checking your life. Listen, brethren are seeing you or they are not seeing you. I hope you know it's not important. In fact, if they see you, it's good. Maybe you will change. The one that they are not seeing, they're setting you up for big. No, Paul said, let's judge ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be judged by the Lord. So every day, Christians, you judge yourself. You correct yourself. I'm trying to paint a picture of God for us to see clearly. He disciplines his children. He does. Satan did not kill another Zafira. It was Peter. Unless Peter was a satanic prophet. I don't know what I get my point. Maybe Peter was hot, you know. Hot, 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 hot blooded. According to all these communists, my blood is hot. <laughs> Maybe. But Christians beware. Be, be don't go to church and go and give an offering and tell lies. That, that's the lesson. The offering, was it compulsory? Was it compulsory? Peter told him it wasn't compulsory. So what were you looking for? You know, human vainglory. So in life, don't look for vainglory. Many Christians have died looking for vainglory. Many have died because God got tired of them. Say they won't do what I'm saying. Let me say something again. That's one truth. Last, last week I began to drop blocks that we say we'll put together. The only we put together in our hearts. Let me say something quickly about persecution. Persecution comes for many reasons. I don't claim to know all the reasons, but bear a number in mind. First, one reason why there's persecution is that God allows it like that. First, it toughens his people. It separates the men from the boys, if you know what I, what I mean by that. Those who are not serious from those who are serious. And anytime you want to go into an area where darkness has held tight, all right, up to that point, and you're coming with light, there often is resistance. So what you call persecution sometimes is nothing but resistance. Do you understand my point? That is one. That's one reason why you may have persecution. Of course, and as an extension of that, in this world, you must have tribulations. Why? Because the world hates light. They are in darkness. Do you follow? So that's part of it. But it's another part of it. Persecution often comes as a sign. Let's read this. I think it will be good. Because you know this one I'm talking about is actually in the scriptures. There's something I said I was going to explain about appropriate prayer. And maybe one day, if God allows us, we will get there. The book of Luke Chapter 14. Okay, no, no, no. Okay, Let, let's read that anyway. For, uh, I want to read verse 34. It said, therefore salt is good. But even if salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? 
It is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Please bear that in mind. Let me just read the other one. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by who? By men. Now, I just, you will combine those two, but saying basically the same thing. That's the next verse. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. Let your light shine before men and all of that. Then, uh, where's the one he said about, um, where is it? You're the salt of the earth. Where is it now? Okay, that's the first one we read, Abby. <laughs> Don't mind me. Very funny. All right? So, now, I want to just explain something here. I'm talking about persecution, all right? The second reason why there's persecution is what we're seeing here. This is the second reason why there's persecution. Trampling underfoot by men. That's the second reason. What does it mean? Christians, the salt. People are, it's been thrown out, now it's been trampled underfoot by men. That's the second reason why there's persecution. See, you can be persecuted for righteousness' sake, then you can be persecuted for unrighteousness' sake as a judgment from God. Did you hear what I said? It's in the Bible again like that. Too. Jesus said, if you are not careful, I will come and do what? Take your lampstand out of its place. That's what he said. Let me remind us. Have you heard this thing before? We've heard it many times. Christians, we need to be careful. We have to be careful. These churches in the book of uh, Revelation, they were in Turkey. And Turkey is an Islamic country today. Have you heard that thing before? You've seen those was that forwarded messages, email forwarded messages. I'm sure they now they trend on Facebook. They say because Turkey was a Christian country, and then something happened, something happened. It's now what? A Muslim country. So Nigeria, we are Christian mostly in the south and generally all over the country. It's not Christianity in Nigeria. It's going to become an Islamic country, except we do something. So what are we supposed to do? You know, APC, remember APC? One day somebody wrote a list of their officials, presidential candidate, Muslim, the head of the, the de facto head of the party, Bola Ahmed Tinubu, Muslim. They listed a lot of them. You know, people are very, 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 very funny. They will not tell you about the other people that are Christians there because the party chairman at that time was a Christian, you understand? Know, they won't tell you he was a Christian. It just means, they said, this is an Islamic party. Can you remember that? So we are supposed to rise up and make sure they don't win lest you become Turkey. Did you buy that? No, confess. Don't put up your hand. Though. Just put up your hand in your heart. Did you buy that thing at a time? I hope you did not. It was the fattest. You know, facts can be twisted to become a lie. It was twisting of facts. Was Turkey Christian? Oh, yes. One, it was not. Paul brought Christianity to it. They were idol, you know, they, they were heathen. Then Paul and co brought Christianity. Yes. He became Christian. At the point that Constantine became, Emperor Constantine became what? A Christian. So he made Christianity official state religion and the headquarters was Istanbul. You understand? What was called Constantinople that time. Now Istanbul, Turkey. Yeah, that is true. But why did they become Muslim is the question. 
Jesus gave us the answer clearly in the book of Revelation. He never said because Islam is powerful. He said because if you don't repent, I will come and take away your lampstand. They did not become Christian and Muslim. Jesus removed his lampstand. So the space was occupied by Islam that came after. Because the Christianity was no longer what? Pure. The salt lost its savour. And it was thrown out. And not because they did not join PDP. So you can't solve a spiritual problem through political manipulation. So that was, that was what made that, those four messages a fat lie. Because what they were doing was telling us that let's join politics to vote Islam out of Nigeria. That to say the If you know anything about spirituality, you know is pure nonsense. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. What if you vote Islam out, and then those who claim they were Christians, you know, some people claim to be Christians, just joining you to get their own political will done. You know, find that they don't believe in anything. Their name is Samuel because their father used to go to church. This guy doesn't believe in anything, doesn't believe in God, doesn't believe in the devil, does not believe in anything but himself. Total atheist. Are you getting my point? Is that what you want? Listen, don't, it's not what I should join you. You know, Americans and the Muslims fought together against communism in Afghanistan and many other places. As soon as communism collapsed, they became arch enemies because they were always arch enemies. They just found it convenient to unite against a common enemy. This is the point I'm making people of God. Why did Turkey be, stop be, being a Christian country? Because Jesus did not like that Christianity. The Christianity by decree, say I don't like it. The Christianity in which you are born a Christian, Christian a Christian, grew up a church member. You never gave your life to Christ. He said, that is not Christianity. Anytime I find it, eventually I kick the people out. Please, I hope you are following what I'm saying here. I've made another point. First, I try to establish the kind of person our God is. Number two, I'm explaining to us this origin of what? Persecution. It could be for righteousness sake, but that's not my emphasis today. My emphasis today is the second one, in which it could be a result of salt thrown out. Lampstand being removed. And I dare to say, that is what we are experiencing currently. We are not really under persecution yet. What we have in Nigeria is not persecution. No. Christians are not being persecuted really. There are small, small pockets of it. There's small, small... In fact... I think America has seen more persecution of Christians than Nigeria has seen. That's my own opinion. Because in Nigeria, there's really no state law against our practices. No. But what I want to bring out is the issue of the crisis in the country. Next point. I've made two points today, right? First one, the true nature of our God. Second point, the origin of persecution. Third point, the role of the effects of the church in a, in a country, in a nation. Let me explain it to you. I said it last time. The most important thing that God is doing on the earth is what? Christ. Say it loud. Christ. Is what? Christ. So we have established it. The most important thing that God is doing is Christ. Last time I talked about what I mean by thing. Not, you know, so that Christ is not just a person. Of course, I know Jesus Christ is a person. But you must understand that the body of Christ is Christ. Do you understand? All right, all the plans that he has had for the redemption of mankind is called Christ. And that's what's most important to him. To bring forth Christ, he brought forth a whole country, a whole nation. 
To bring forth Christ, he called Abraham. To bring forth Christ, he lost them, you understand, to become a great country. Under David, they became an empire. To bring forth Christ, he kept on disciplining the people, but refused to wipe them out entirely. Many of us don't understand that many of the things in today, they make it look as if God has one special plan for Jews so that they will take over the whole world. You see the way our brethren preach? It's very funny. They don't know that he has fulfilled all his promises. Anyone he has not fulfilled is inside Christ. Anyone that does not come into Christ will not get anything. That's a matter of fact. One of the things he has fulfilled is that people who sinned against him, he had the habit of wiping out entirely. Many of those nations, they don't exist anymore. Year of the Perizzites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, you know. They don't, that is, he wiped them out. Some of them, he erased the memory of them. You know what I mean? There's no book about them, no archaeological digging, nothing. The world will never know they existed. That's what he does. He will kill them, kill everybody that knows about them. I'm, I wish you know the kind of God you are dealing with. And you know, there's a way you kill people, they'll find their bones. There are people you kill, the bones can't survive the heat. When he smoked Sodom and Gomorrah, he left the place inert till today. There's a way you kill people, you won't know where, where they used to be. That's the kind of thing he does. So he used to wipe people out entirely. But you know what? He never wiped Israel out no matter how much they did against him. It's part of the promise he made. Why? He was using them to bring forth Christ. When they, when they annoy him, which human beings like to do, when they annoy him, annoy him, annoy him, annoy, annoy. He said, what do I do to these people? He will bring enemies against them. Say, Assyrians, please, I have a job for you. And for your information, Assyrians, they say till now, till today, they, they, on record, they are still the most wicked army that ever existed. Assyrian soldiers are very wicked. They were very wicked. They killed men. Let's not talk about what they do to women. It's what they do to children. They carry children, hold them by their legs, and bash them against the wall. Thank you. I like the way you reacted there. That's, the, that's typical of them. When they are done, they waste the land. They make the land useless. They know how to, they'll kill you. That is, the kind of thing they used to do. Those people, they were wicked. God will bring them against you. say, come, come, come. I have work for you. They will come and scatter Israel. So let me hope Judah will learn. You know what they call ten tribes of Israel? I hope you know, they, nobody knows where they are. They call them the lost tribes. Everybody has claimed to be amongst them. <laughs> Even Kano, Nam the Kano, has claimed his portion. Everybody's claimed that we are part of the lost ten tribes. The, the Britons claimed it. They say it's Anglo-Saxon. You know Saxon? Saxon is Sax's son, Isaac's son. They've turned it all kinds of way, all kinds of nonsense. But God kept on doing Israel one way, kept on preserving them so he could bring forth Christ. In all of that, he had one purpose, one, to bring out that child that grew up to be the man, Jesus Christ. That's all. He said, this is the salvation of the whole earth. Millions of people, they will go to Egypt. Why did he take them? Now, please, I want you to follow something. Why did he take them to Egypt to preserve them from pollution by all these Hittites, Amorites, and all of that. Kept them in Egypt in a, a secluded area. They got comfortable in Egypt. He raised a pharaoh that made them uncomfortable. So they cried to return. So he raised Moses to take them back. Then he, look, he, all of this to bring forth Jesus Christ. 
Millions of people will come and go. One thing he was going to do thousands of years later to bring forth Jesus. That's how important Christ is. And the moment Jesus was born, he divided the, the, you know, the calendar into two. He said before Christ and after that. So in every nation, let me tell you what he's doing. It's Christ. No matter how small it appears, it's Christ. All the war in Afghanistan is bringing forth Christ. The one in Iran, Christ. The one in Iraq, Christ. Problems in Nigeria, Christ. Everything he's doing, Christ. 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 It's not new. That's why I told you the story. The whole na- Do you know how many little babies died because of this Christ? When Herod was looking for this Christ. So why did they die? Because of Christ. Why did Moses live? Because of Christ. Why was Abraham called? Because of Christ. Why was David born? Because of Christ. Why was David raised? Because of Christ. Why did he give promises to David? Because of Christ. Then when the Christ came, he looked and said, it is finished. We finished that phase. And that phase began. Now he's writing the whole, the history of mankind around that Christ. What am I saying to you? Let me, let's get practical about it. In this nation, it applies in many nations. I have a bit of information about Nigeria as a nation. Everything that's happened around here is because of Christ. Why did God raise Muhammadu Buhari up to become the president at this time? He says, for the sake of Christ. He can't do anything against them. He can only do something in favor of the plan of God. Please bear that in mind. In every nation on this earth, God has his own nation. And when he was dividing the nations of the earth, he said he has drawn the boundaries according to the numbers, the number of the sons of Israel. And you must understand, what he called Israel is Christ. Paul said we are the true circumcision, that's Israel. He said, peace be upon the Israel of God. Let me tell you the truth. There's one book I saw, I read it, I threw it away. It said Nigeria was founded by a meeting between a few people at the bottom of the Atlantic. You know, our imagination is, is interesting. It's interesting. You go and have visions and revelations that is against the word of God. Are you smoking something? This is why they had to ban Kodin. Because they can't understand the crazy. Yeah, you have revelation that they founded Nigeria at the bottom of the Atlantic. God drew the map himself. That day I was saying that, uh, what they call, is it Abazonia or Ambazon, what they call them? That segment of Cameroon. They have been fighting recently. Huh? No, they were supposed to be in Nigeria. They refused. They are going to the other side. That's how come they speak English. So I said, that, God, what, what were you doing? Why did you call them? It's, it's his decision. It's his decree. There are many reasons, of course, but he has a decree. But I'm going to explain something to you. Once he wrote the boundary, once he drew the boundaries of this country, it was to create a terminology which is called the Church of God in Nigeria. That is the reason why this country exists. Did you hear what I said? What I've told you is the deepest truth you'll ever encounter concerning what that study of human behavior called. Is it anthropology or... No, not psychology. Sociology, yes. I think sociology, whatever. That's the deepest truth. I'm telling you, the origin of nations. I just gave you revelation right here. It's Christ. It's Christ. That's what God is doing. It's Christ. And listen to this. So the country, listen, feels the pulse of what God is doing with the church. This is one thing we've often overlooked, many of us. We sit down here and laugh. Well, sometimes we get angry, sometimes we laugh. But generally we find it funny. But we don't realize that God didn't find it funny. I, I, I've been laughing for a long time, but... You know, you know, the other day, um, 
in the chat group of pathology, somebody cracked a joke about coronavirus. You know what they call coronavirus? The outbreak that's going on in China. It's killed almost everybody in China. Only, I'm like, it has killed over a thousand people, all of them, almost exclusively in China. Only a few, a handful outside China. All right? So somebody cracked a joke. So people will now say, you know, there are jokes people crack. Like when somebody forwarded that, um, full scholarship, so, uh, to study this, to study that, all expenses paid in Wuhan, China. Now, you understand that Wuhan is where the epidemic, they have like, like a state, like province, they close the whole place up. Nobody goes out, nobody goes in. They quarantine the whole, you know, province to reduce the spread. So somebody forwarded something like that. People were laughing. One person now said, that's where I'm going. He said that he think it's out of order for adults to laugh about somebody else's misfortune. That's where I'm going. No, the rest of us never saw you. No, but it's like, what is wrong with all of you? People are dying every day. 100 people died. 106 people died yesterday. The day before, 94 people. On a daily basis, people are dying. Now, you may think, one I, I, I did a calculation. It kills 2%. The mortality rate is 2%. And mostly in people who are already ill, maybe elderly, very young, or they were sick for other reasons. But let's forget all those two percent. If he infects one million, how many people are going to die? Twenty thousand people. That's all that Ebola killed. For all the noise made about Ebola, after months and months, Ebola managed to reach eleven thousand deaths. This guy is achieving it in a few weeks. So that guy said, "Look, guys, stop laughing, no." This is where I'm going. A lot of things we have been laughing at. God didn't find them funny. Like some of these we say that now, today, pastors do it before service. And say, how much do we need? <laughs> today he's saying that we need to raise that 1.5. It's okay. You will do the preaching. You know what to do. You know pastors do it. Though. I just mentioned these names as a joke, but they do it. So the service will start. Today, as I began to meditate, and God began to speak to me, and he said, what special thing will I do, my people do today? Because it's a blessing I have reserved. I've seen things like this all the time. And you see the way we are laughing? We laugh about it. Do you know what? God has never laughed. He has never laughed. You know what he has always said? These boys have better stop, or I'll start killing people. I know those of you who are grace preachers, you listen to this, get angry. Let me just warn you. Go and read how God treated those who disagree with Jeremiah while he was preaching the truth because it was not convenient. Jeremiah warned people. Prophets rose up again and again against Jeremiah. Jeremiah warned them, please, don't stir up rebellion against the Lord. I am not stirring up rebellion against God. I'm teaching the fear of him. If you don't agree with me, just shut your mouth and stay in your house. Because I know some people, when they, they learn to They've learned this is a hyper grace thing now. They want to they will now mount up on Twitter and start talking. Change our finger, they take type. Let's leave it like that. Who is manufactured doctrines? An Anglican pastor, priest. He went to church and preached, is it first fruits or tithes or one of those money collecting things? One of my friends went and met him and said, Oh boy, Pastor, when did this one start? He said they are taking it to other churches. That our church members will go and give their first fruits or tithe elsewhere so that they can collect the blessing. Well, even though I know it's not true, I won't sit down here, let my blessing go somewhere else. So I have to. So he went and imported a doctrine that is not true. 
he began to preach and he confessed. Hmm? I'm doing it only because I need to collect our money. We are laughing. God never laughed. He was grieved. He was angry. And he said they had better stop. Otherwise, I will pull off the edge around them and they will see the kind of trouble they've never seen before. Paul said, judge yourselves so you will not be judged. We have dragged each other to court so as to control finances in a church. We have left one church to start another one, so we have to be the one controlling money. And the rest of us will sit down and laugh. Say, these young pastors these days. And God doesn't laugh. You know, pastors have started selling cover. You know, cover. If you want to do business, I have to cover you. Who are you? Are you a child of God like me? You're not. So, I won't say directly, but I used to let you know that beyond your tithe to cover you, you have to do something else. It became, you know, doctrine we pick from here and there. We laugh about it. God never laughed. He was watching. I said, listen, boys, girls, you have to stop this. If you don't stop this, you will have trouble. We have built buildings that God said, as I live, that building will never prosper. And we'll be, ra- Kai. we'll be raising money like mad men. What are we doing it for? They say it's for God. Because how is it for me? It's not iron rod you are using it to buy. Cement. You're buying trips of, you're buying trips of sand. Pain laborers. To build a structure I will not live in. Let me tell those who do not know, there's no church building. There's no, there, there's no temple of God on this earth. Every building is just as functional as to make it useful for ourselves. What I mean is that if everybody lives in a hut, build a bigger hut, that's your church. There's nothing like, eh, the house of my God must have terrazzo. When your house does not have ordinary German floor, you are a madman. Please, I'm not joking, no. You should know when I'm angry with like the Lord. He said, so that the house of God can have marble, marble pulpit. Meanwhile, the members, none of them have, you know what they call German floor? For those who don't know, German floor is ordinary cement on the floor. Inside the house. That's what they call German floor. It's nothing, forget the word German. That word German means like imported floor. It's not imported. It's mass concrete. You pour, you know, if it's even cheap stone, they don't use the expensive stone. They use the cheap stone. Just pour it on the ground. You see people, they carry, no? they say, no. The house of my God. Listen, where, what you should say, where me and my brethren meet to study the word. If you say it like that, you will react differently. It's not the house of your God. Makes me laugh. You see villagers building cathedrals. I say, are you people normal? Why should villagers build cathedral? Look at the house you are living in. Build a bigger size. That's your church. If all of you have touched roof, God said, where you will meet, the roof should also be touched. As you prosper individually, it will reflect in where you meet, you know, together. That is, there is nothing like your church building being funner than the town hall. They are the same thing. We have done the opposite for long. God is watching us like this. Some have been struggling tightly with God. High priest. Some churches gather first from say, go solely to the high priest. Who's the high priest? Pastor Banky, being the most senior in kingdom world ministries. 
The Lord is good. <laughs> Funny doctrines. No, doctrines will be the dragging title with God. We may laugh. Do you know what? He has never laughed. He's been watching. And I say to you, I'm not joking. All right? When the first bomb blast went off, it was against us. Whether I killed Christians or Muslims is not the issue. We started it. We started it. We started it. We started it. Part of our issue is that when we decide, look, when we gathered money, instead of going towards the places where the gospel had not reached, we decided that we will spend our money to enjoy. You understand my point? We spent 10% of missions, 90% of building, godless buildings. And we'll call ourselves an, an evangelical church. God said, I don't find it funny. One thing I learned long ago, I think Hagin was the one preaching. He said, why did persecution break out against the church in Jerusalem? He said, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and all the, all the uttermost parts of the world. Many years afterwards, they were sitting in Jerusalem. <laughs> Jesus said, this evil. You are sitting in Jerusalem. Then Stephen was killed, and great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem. Read your Bible. And they were scattered abroad, apart from the apostles. And those that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the gospel. God said, I didn't have to use persecution if you will have, if you have used your head. The other truth I'm establishing next is that, if, that is, up to this point, is that the church is a problem, is the solution. In fact, no, let, I, I would draw that expression. The church is the thing that God is doing. If we do right, everything will be okay with the nation. If we do wrong, the nation will feel the pulse. It will feel it. Another point I should make, crowning Saul as king cannot defend Israel against the Ammonites, ultimately. Our leaders gathered the other day and were marching. We call it prayer walk. I didn't know when we started praying and walking, why the whole world is filming and newspaper is reporting. Pastor Kemute is praying right now. He's praying right now. You understand what I'm trying to say? I don't know when we began that though. But that was our nice way. Oh, we're carrying placards while we're walking. So Jesus now reads our placards. We're very funny people, aren't we? We are very, very funny people. We, we are very, thank God Navdak has banned Kodin. We are very, very funny people. You cannot solve a spiritual problem through physical activities. You can't. The president can't help you, can't help me. The army can't help us. Our God, our Lord is the Lord of hosts. Jesus said, if our kingdom was of this world, then our soldiers would be fighting. Our kingdom is not of this world. He said, when we have need defense, what do we do? We ask God for what? Twelve legions of angels, and he gives it. When did we start turning to human beings to protect us? Is that not a sign that we are backsliding? Let me tell you the sin of the church so I can, we can pray and go. One simple word. Worldliness. That's all. The sin of Nigerian church, worldliness. Every other thing is drawn out of that worldliness. Our doctrines are drawn out of worldliness. Dangote is the richest man, is the Muslim. Why is our God sleeping? Are you getting my point? If you make that statement, you are worldly. 
Dangote is not the richest man as far as we are in the kingdom. We don't see him like that. I use him as illustration a lot of times because Jesus used to use physical things. But truly, he is not the richest man as far as I understand it. Because can you value my wealth? You can't. Jesus said, what I have, Dangote will sell all he has to collect it if he had eyes. Is that what it says? The kingdom of God is like a pile of great price. A man went and sold all he had to collect it. A man came to Jesus and said, what, can, what should I do? What must I do to gain eternal life? Those who have believed, have they not passed out of death and transferred into life? Okay, look, if you're talking wealth, then go to, no, if he had eyes, and if he has not discovered it yet, he will come to me. He went to Jesus. Jesus said, you want to know what it takes to gain eternal life. He said, sell all you have. Sell your refinery. All your trucks. And people with insight, they do such things. But worldliness tells us that he's the richest man in the world. So sometimes when we are preaching, we will take our doctrine, twist it to get money. That's where it began from. Worldliness is where it began from. Start hearing things like, a congregation cannot prosper more than their pastor is prospering. <laughs> You've heard that thing before. So you see church members, ignorance is very terrible. You know, they will be gathering money, gathering money, just to buy pastor prosperity. Why? So that the rest of them can reach that level. <laughs> we are laughing, right? You know, God has never laughed. He said, listen, I will scatter those congregations. Many of those men, I will make them poor in their middle age and their later life. Now, listen to me. I'm not joking about this. Many of them will beg for food. Those same church members will not greet them again because I will have opened their eyes to know this man deceived them for 30 years. You think Poko Haram is a problem? No, they are not a problem. We bring wrath to the nation. We can repel it. We. You know where, our, you know where problem comes in the country? Our pulpit. It starts with the prophets. Now, prophets now talking about those who declare the word of God. They are the culprits. Oh, listen, let me tell you something. Those of you that you can run, go and hide your family, yourself, in a foreign country after you have messed up the country with your wrong doctrine. Just think well. That's all I will have to tell you. Come on. So, one of the things that pastors do, go and buy a house in America, no, 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 that, and then they'll be waiting for trouble to break out in Nigeria so they can run somewhere. Let me just tell you something. Don't bother. If you want to be safe, if you want to be saved, sell that house and give to the poor. You know, some pastors are very funny. You know the job they do? Collect tithe. That's, you know this doctrine of tithe? It is not supported by scripture. It's supported by structure. Hmm. That's a revelation right there. That's a revelation right there. That is a revelation right there. Each of you should write that in your next article. You should write it in your next article. <laughs> I didn't think about it before. You know, apostles don't cram out. You don't cram out. <laughs> they will hear it on word versus word. <laughs> when I say structure, this is what I mean. Is need. We have built a system that needs that constant inflow. If any Jeremiah shows up and says, God did not command it, 
will rise up against him. Look, most pastors that have talked to me, they're like, you know, the church doctrine, I just leave them. The church doctrine, no nonsense. We're talking about truth here, telling me church doctrine. They have structure. And listen, God doesn't laugh when his children every day, they support a doctrine even though they know it's not true. You know, I told you that your friend who said on that Sunday he will leave the church. I said he's not free. People will be going around teaching what they don't believe in. They are the ones that started Boko Haram. We started it. Please, anybody writing, doing research and telling where Boko Haram came from has not read the book of Job. Because every, those people that took the goods of Job, they were human beings. They were thieves before. They are coming into Job's life was a spiritual reason. That's all you need to note. They are coming into Job's life was a spiritual reason. So all this, look, I, I talked with Pastor Corey yesterday. He said, many people don't understand. He said, Nigeria is at war. Oh, yes. He said, one of the things people don't know is that more soldiers have died than civilians. But that's never publicized. They can't publicize that. That's for you to know it is war. Please, I don't want any Christian to get up and be calling the name Buhari again. It shows you don't know anything. This is not about whether you believe scripture or not. Just you don't know anything. You're too ignorant. You know, you stayed in Obete. From Obete, you go to one. One, you come to Kingdom World. Kingdom World, you go to one church on Sunday. Your whole life is a no You've only been to nature twice in your life and you're 35. <laughs> You've not gone anywhere. You've never entered that, you know, uh, what's the name of Akanobia International Airport? You never entered. You just, well, enter and reach the MNA. Phew. <laughs> So you will not be talking things you don't know. No. There's a war that the head of state is not responsible for. We are responsible for. That's what I'm preaching. So, let me end it here. We'll continue next time. When you want to... Look, next time, let me maybe we'll talk more about the sin of the prophets and why judgment must begin in the house of God. And I talk about appropriate prayer. You cannot sugarcoat the prayer. You know, God says it is a sin for you to say as a prophet, it will be well with a man who's walking in sin. Not only a sin, it's a sin calling for divine judgment. For you as a prophet of God to look at a man who's walking in sin and say, it shall be well with you. God said, his judgment, you will share in it. If God allows me, next time I talk about the sin of the prophets. Because the problem in every land starts with the prophets. I've established that the church is a problem, is the issue. I don't want to use the word problem. Because they can be the solution, they can be the problem. They are the thing. But the problem in the church is a problem of prophets. When I say prophets now, I mean, that stands now for those who declare the word of God. If a man comes to your church regularly, and he brings good, you know what they call a good offering, good offerings regularly, 
You will see the transfer into the church account. Phew. Then, pastor, this is your portion. And you know he's an adulterer. You know, there are jobs you should not take if you can avoid it. Pastor of a church is the kind of job you don't take if you can avoid it. It's not a good job. Because God commands that you instruct that man to stop sending money to that church and you must never collect any gift from him again. Yes. When he sends an offering, if he sends a check, as an example, you look at the check, 10 million. Say, aha, brother Peter, how are you? Say, fine, sir. Please, can you see me in the office? Sit down. What am I hearing? I heard that you have a girlfriend on, on campus here. And this is her name. You know, you have information. And he's babbling. He said, hey, wait, before you answer me, there's Ananias and Sapphira. If he can't answer, he push his check back to him and say, may the Lord deal harshly with you if you ever bring money here again. He will get the point. Seriously, I'm not joking about that. Though. I'm not joking. No. <laughs> you should know me by now. See? <laughs> There's something I'm not joking about. I'm not joking about it. If you take his money, his punishment will be split in two. Half will be upon your household. The Bakari also said something once. They drove an S500 into his church premises. And they came to give him the keys. He looked at the young man. What do you do? The young man could not explain. He gave him his key and told him to drive his car out of the compound. You know what I said? Brand new, fat Mercedes Benz. The man looked at it. He doesn't have any problem with that kind of car. But he said, what do you do? The man could not explain. So he gave him this key and instructed him to drive out and not come back. You see me maybe divorce my wife today, marry another wife tomorrow, and pregnant a third woman tomorrow. Then one pastor now saying that, you know, you have to pray for Pastor Banky. You know, he's a good man. Just check how much I gave him. Because no normal person we, we support that kind of nonsense. They would tell you, ah, he has gone mad. Let, let's join us. Rebuke the devil. In the name of Jesus, all the grace, grace in his head. Point are saying, no, you know, we have to be patient. It's our brother. Ask how much I gave him. Let's rest our feet. Let's rest our feet. What I just want us to do. Everybody, under your breath, you pray for a minute. Just accept responsibility. Enough of blaming somebody. Yes, on behalf of the church. On behalf of the church, Lord, we are sorry. It is, it is us. It can be a sin of omission that he did not even know. It was easy to point fingers. We could have been laughing, but God was not laughing. He was not laughing. He was not laughing. When we made iniquity, adultery, a part of our assembly, and we're still meeting, and I said, Khan has not called for open repentance in Eagle Square. They are, call, they are calling for me to pray against what? That the government will arise and do its duty. No. We need to openly repent in Igu Square, in Abuja. But God does not expect everybody to do that. He says, I sent a word to us here this evening. That word will lighten upon the whole church if we just do what we are supposed to do. Let's just tell him we are sorry. 
Let's just tell him we are sorry. Because the nation is at war, and we are the only ones that can stop it through the power of God. Let's just tell him, sorry, Lord, we are sorry. Don't deal with us according to the multitude of our iniquity. Say, Lord, we are sorry. People say, is the blood, listen, it is saying that Jesus, you are calling his blood, is the one we have to deal with now. Is the one, is the Lord we are talking to, that we are telling we are sorry. Let's just say, Lord, we accept the response. That's the first thing, to accept the responsibility that we are your people in this nation. Just say to him, we are your people in this nation. We are your people in this nation. We accept that responsibility. We know you hold us responsible. We ask for forgiveness for our wrong doctrines. Our apathy. Very important. Have, ask God for mercy on apathy. The idea of we're not pushing the gospel. We're not pushing. We're satisfied. As long as it produces money for us, we can build better cathedrals. We can send our children to good schools. We are satisfied. Say, Lord, have mercy upon that apathy. That's what I mean by apathy. The aggression, the desire to push truth. We'd rather have the country caught, making some areas inaccessible because we feel safer. Let's ask, say, Lord, have mercy. Say, Lord, have mercy on our apathy. Let's say, Lord, have mercy on our toler- to- no being tolerant of evil. Wrong doctrine is the most important of evil we have been tolerant of. Let's ask God to forgive us of, you know, worship of men. Christians don't read their Bible a lot of times. They just say, my pastor said, whether the man tells the truth or not, we are more interested in the structure than in the scripture. If you think a man covers, you know, ah, let's say, Lord, we are sorry. Let's accept that responsibility. Let's accept it. Let's accept it. Say, Lord, we accept it. We accept, we accept that we are at fault. Yes. Because we are your people. We are your people. We are your people. We are your people. Whatever the country is feeling, you know, the Bible says they are groaning. You know, people are being kidnapped. They are groaning. They are being robbed. They are groaning. They are being driven from their farms because of their sins. Yes, but they are groaning. Many are walking in blindness because we did not shine light. They are groaning for the manifestation of the sons of God. For us to bring light to them. Let's say, Lord, we are sorry for denying these people light. Let's ask the Lord for mercy. He's the one that will make the wars in the nation cease. He's the one. Yes, he's the one that will make nations cease. Everybody, please open your Bibles. I want us to pray for Nigeria now. I've been praying for the church so far. We'll continue next time. But let's open and pray for, the, for Nigeria as a nation. But we're going to read 11 verses. I'll read the first verse of Psalm 46. Psalm 46. Psalm 46. I'll read one verse, you read the next one, then we'll read 11 together. Are you ready? Please read it loud. Don't shout at the top of your voice, but read it loud, all right? Are you ready? All right. I'm reading Psalm 46 from verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Two, therefore we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea. Verse 3, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at the swelling pride, sailor. Verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, 
the holy dwelling places of the Most High. Verse 5, God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. 6, the nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. Verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. Somebody say amen. amen. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Selah. Verse 8, come, behold the works of the Lord. Who has brought desolations in the earth? Nine. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Verse ten. Cease striving. I know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Let's read verse eleven together. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Selah. Now I want to read verse um, 9 again. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. And then verse um, 10 tells us that he, he said, Cease striving and know I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. Now when we want to pray, remember, three things we use in prayer, the weapons of prayer. One is the name of God. Number two, his promises. And number three, we make our request. You understand? Now, I just want us to read, the, we read this so that we can emphasize the name of God. This, we have read this, invoking the name of God upon this land. I want to ask you for a favor. Each person, read this before you sleep again tonight. Read it at least twice. And when you are doing it, you can just, in your mind, know you are reading it over this land. Are you getting my point? Yes, you are reading it over the land. Because by it, we are saying, God, cause our wars to cease. Somebody say Amen. amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, cause the wars to cease. 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 Cause the wars in Nigeria to cease. Lord, grant us peace again. And Lord, help us to do our duty in the midst of the peace that you will grant. In the name of Jesus Christ. Let's give the Lord thanks because he has heard us today. Just say, Father, we thank you. Let's say, Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you. Each person, don't forget, please read this psalm again. As many times as you can between now and next and Saturday. John, anytime you are reading, you know you are invoking the name of the Lord over the nation. Over the nation. Because he has had mercy upon his church. He will cause these troubles to go back. He will push them back. Different ways, but he will push them back. He will push them back. He will push them back. His people need to know that he's been calling to them they did not hear. But now they are going to begin to hear. And he will push these things back. Let's give him thanks. Let's give him thanks. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you.